Hi, welcome to the Proterra Connect podcast. I'm your host, Walid Siraj. In today's episode, I'm joined by Edith Dosia. Edith is the general director and co-founder at Process Communication Netherlands, or otherwise known as PCM. PCM is an innovative model that allows you to understand the depth of your personality structure and decode human interactions, helping you make the most of every conversation, situation, and day. In today's episode, we talk about Edith's journey, how it all began, and her vision for the future. Topics around understanding personality, human behavior, the impact of understanding the workforce, and more. Edith, thanks for joining us. Hi, Edith. Um, welcome to the Proterra Connect podcast. Thank you, Ali. Thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to dive straight into it because uh, no time for preparation. I know you've come unprepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think we should be prepared to talk about us and ourselves. No, so um, the one question which I always like asking our guests and beginning it with is um, the way they describe themselves. Because uh, I think it's kind of tough also, but in a way it's very different how we do it. And I've had people who have given very descriptive descriptions, mm-hmm. people who have just given a sentence So I'm curious to understand, who is Edith? Who's Edith? What a wonderful question. I am energetic, positive, compassionate, and I love people, being around people, animals. Um, I have a great circle of friends, a wonderful family. I'm a very rich girl in that sense, or rich woman. I also like to have impact. Uh Uh-huh on individuals, on groups, um, and improve the quality of life. So one of my mottos is together and with fun, you achieve more than, you know, alone. Yeah. And uh, I think that sums it up. Yeah. I like to have fun. Yeah. And like to get results. Perfect. That combination. But most of all, yeah, I think that would be it. I love to travel. I'm very curious. Even more now than I used to be, I think. Yeah. Just really curious about the world, about life, and how we can make this world a bit better. Yeah. Let me take you back a few years. Um, Okay. I want to know a little bit about your origins, your roots, where you come from. Tell me about um, what your childhood was like, um, your parents, um, the early parts of your life. Right. Well, I come from a family with two parents, my mom and my dad. And I have two brothers and one sister. I'm the second one. Um, The middle child. The middle child, yes. Though I also learned that I acted for many, many years as the oldest one because my brother's more like doing his own, taking his own path. Yeah. We're very close together all. And I think that's also really a big gift in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am the second and I love it. I love to be around my family and I've also had struggles with my family, as, as everybody has. And I had the typical struggle with my dad. Um, but uh, we're good. Now, so yeah. that's really good. I grew up in various places in the Netherlands. So I moved around a lot. I was born in Boskoop, which is near Gouda in yes. The Hague, that area. Really nice area. It's a nice area, but I was only six months when we <laughs> left there. So I don't really remember a lot of it. Uh, and then we moved to the east of the Netherlands. Uh, it was uh, called Genemuiden. Okay. Which is the tapestry city of the Netherlands, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and we were there for seven years. Mm. And then we moved to Utrecht, or the area of Utrecht, IJsselstein. 
Spent two and a half years there, and then when I was about 10, we moved to the south of the Netherlands, and that was uh, Zeeuws-Vlaanderen, which is absolutely in the middle of nowhere. I'm sorry, everybody who lives in Zeeuws-Vlaanderen, but it was not my my um, wish. And um, so I moved around a lot, and it also formed me. Uh, I went to four public schools, like uh, primary schools, and um, grew up in Zeeuws-Vlaanderen from 10 till 18. And I thought it was so boring, boring in the beginning, really boring. Yeah. But I got a great friend there, and in summer it was awesome, but in the winter there's nothing to do, and yep. I really like to do things and be inspired by culture, by different people. And in summer, Zealand is great, but in the winter it's uh, yeah. not a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. So I moved around a lot and uh, learned there that... Um, I think you can build your home anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Yeah. And also learn that life sometimes happens in a way that you don't really plan yeah. it or want it. Yeah. I'm not a big planner, but yeah. I do know what I want and yeah. I don't want. And this was one of the things, especially when I was 10, when we moved from uh, Utrecht area to Zeeland. I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. So my dad was a policeman. And he made a career, mm-hmm. and this is the reason why we uh, why we moved a lot. It doesn't happen nowadays that much anymore that you take up your whole family and then go to the place where somebody else goes working. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. You're right. I, I had that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. My father was in the pharmaceutical industry, so we got to move to Singapore and Vietnam, and the whole family really came with us, right. including my grandma, my dad's mom. Wow, she moved with us everywhere yeah? as well. So uh, it's an interesting interesting. comparison, but I agree with you. It doesn't happen so much anymore. I guess the word is expatriate um, jobs, essentially, right? Expatriate uh, assignments. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's in between different countries and we were like in between different regions. So it's like, I don't know, is it an impact or something? (laughs) 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 And the interesting, you'd be be surprised. I don't know. How long have you been living in the Netherlands now? Four years. Four years. And we've, we're such a small country, right? Yeah, yeah. Like in terms of uh, square meters, but the differences in culture between yes. the different regions are yeah. huge, yeah. huge. Yeah. So it's also quite interesting. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. So, what did young Edith think she was going to do? Oh, I th- um, um, I wanted to be a nurse when I was younger. Why? Because my grandmother, so the. Mother of my mother passed away pretty uh, when I was young, and uh, my dad remarried. So with my grandma, she, she always took care of other people, like yeah, elderly people, and I loved going with her into that building. And then she had like two old ladies where she took care of their finances, and we went did some shopping for them, and then we just had a coffee. And uh, I thought it was a great thing that mm-hmm. she she did that. And um, but later on, I thought, hmm, I'm not so sure if I would be such a good nurse. I think the caring part would, would be good, but um, you also have to have a lot of quality in terms of, you know, how, knowing how to deal with blood and all all kinds of other things and yeah. not really my strong suit. <laughs> and I've all, also thought that I would be a theatre player. Okay. Yeah, I love to uh, play theatre and have, like, you know, fun with that. And um, so there was one time that I considered going to the theater school, but it never really 
planned out or yeah. I don't know. I think it was also a bit like the threshold was a bit too high because <laughs> you had to do this. Um, how do you call that? Like these days where you have, where you're like um, rec recruited. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And it, and it was also quite far away from Zealand, whereas I was always wanted to get away from Zealand as well. Mm-hmm. But I remember that when I was in my fifth grade, um, I don't know if, the, if you call it like that, but in, uh, in the fifth um, class of my secondary school, and we did a musical there. That was the only fun thing that I can really remember in that <laughs> school. Oh my God, it sounds so depressing. That and the Rome trip, that was it. <laughs> Which trip. is amazing yeah. too. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. But I, I really learned to, to, that I really like to be, I don't know, creative with people. Mm -hmm and singing and dancing and learning new things and also a bit of the risk will it be go will it will it go well yeah. or not yeah. um yeah so i i actually looked at theater studies then okay. later on but then i thought yeah what am i going to be with that do i do i want to be a director or anything like mm -hmm. that no so in the end that that didn't happen yeah no nurse so, no so what track did you pick, end up picking when it came to a study decision type of area? I ended up, uh, well, that's <laughs> actually quite a funny story because the other day I was talking to a colleague because you know that I'm experienced in how do we make decisions, how we look at the world. And we had this wonderful exchange about how did you pick your university? Yeah. So um, I started in Utrecht because my brother studied in Utrecht. I used to go party there with him and I <laughs> thought, this is a nice city. I want to study here. So I... Looked and I looked and I looked, but I couldn't really find a study that suited me. So that's when I uh, started looking to other studies. And there was, there, like, the golden thread was either languages, because mm -hmm. I love to speak different languages, and uh, economics or marketing, because mm -hmm. I was fascinated by, by client yeah. contact, etc. And, uh, and these were also subjects that I was good at in school. Sometimes it's very practical. Um, And then, so Utrecht didn't uh, didn't do it, do the trick. And then I went to Rotterdam um, to, I think, to watch at uh, business economics and also econo econometrics. Yeah, don't know why I ended up there because really? after two minutes, I completely lost yeah. the professor. It was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was sitting there with a friend. I was like, really? Do yeah. people understand this stuff? Anyway, but I can remember walking in that university. It was just so big, and I felt so small it was so cold for me okay so that was not working either and then i ended up in nijmegen okay and Nijmegen city in the east of the netherlands and i i remember cycling there it was springtime it sounds really ridiculous that, it, that there's a reason why but it is very explainable uh, especially looking back um, and looking at my personality so I remember there cycling through this lane with all flowers and it was like nice people and friendly and a bit of a small university. Okay. And they had two studies that I liked. So one was business economics and the other one was uh, called business communications, languages okay. for business. And when I saw that, and there was also the possibility to go abroad and there was a possibility to have one year of free study space so you yeah. can decide whatever you like to study. Yeah as a part of your uh, university yeah. degree. And I thought, yeah, this is it. And the interesting part was when I was talking to the, to the colleague, he picked his uh, study. He was literally, he, w he wanted to become a dentist first. Yeah. And then he said, but then I looked at the numbers and how easy it was to get a job yeah. as a dentist. 
And then it was, uh, and I came into the to the to the college room for the open days, and there were so many people. I thought, no, we're not going to do this. So we're going to study something other technical, and I don't know what the, the English name for a study yeah. is. Completely different perspective. So we laughed our heads off, just because this is how you view the world and how yeah. you make decisions. Yeah, I have. I had a great time in Nijmegen, so it was a good decision. Yeah. Yeah, um, I can relate to that because I wanted to be a surgeon. All right. Yeah. Um, and I remember sitting with the counselor um, because I got three B's in sciences. which is not that bad. Um, physics, chemistry, bio. No, not at all. Um, you definitely beat me. <laughs> <laughs> Dropped the science part already quite early. Yeah. And um, I had A's, I think, in mathematics, something and something, economics and something. Um, and I remember going, so it was O-levels and going into A-levels. And when we went to that school, it's a two-year program in A-levels, she said, okay, if you want to do sciences... The only thing is they had two campuses. One was the main campus, which was really where all the fun people went, let's mm -hmm. say. And then there was this campus called NCFP, which was whatever. But the idea was in that campus, people who needed extra classes, um, it was more intense. It was more exams, just like okay. to get you up to speed, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Like um, a drill school. Like a drill type school. It was <laughs> yeah. the same school, but a different campus, which okay. in the long sense, it kind of made sense that they had that. And she's like, okay, if you want to do sciences, you can go to that campus. Or if you want to, otherwise you can switch and you can do something else. And you can stay in the main campus. And I was sitting there with her only about two minutes to analyze in my head what it would look like. And I'm like, how badly do you want to be a doctor or a mm. surgeon compared to how much do you hate studying? And my <laughs> my <laughs> hatred for studies just exceeded so much. Oh, yeah. being a doctor. And I was like, that's it. And I scrapped ah. that. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so what, what comes next? So you've studied then business communication and this combination of yeah. Um, business yeah. economics. Yeah, I did uh, business communication in, uh, and the third year I went to Wolverhampton to, uh, oh. to study languages for business. So I did my BA honors there. And um, I was fascinated by marketing immediately. Like how, how do we yeah. make sure that we reach somebody else? If I look back, always people... And how things are managed has always uh, been my fascination. Yep. And uh, I just had so much fun. The first two years were quite serious. I still had a boyfriend in Zealand, so I was, I'm very loyal. And I love, uh, you know, if if I if I, I'm connected to someone or something like a company, I will work really hard. Okay. So the first two years were good, and then the third year that was that was really when my world changed again because uh, in those first two years I was very I was quite serious mm -hmm. with a serious relationship he ha he was his own entrepreneur I worked really hard I went yep. uh, home on uh, on Thursday evening came back on uh, Sunday and wow. then uh, my studies were like from Monday till uh, till Thursday and then I partied on Tuesday <laughs> and Wednesday <laughs> but when I when I talked to my friends at that time they said yeah so you were so like uh, putting yourself aside, basically, for uh, for his uh, company. Mm -hmm. And then the third year, we went to uh, to Wolverhampton, so I broke up with him in the summer, and then I already had plans to go to uh, to uh, to England. And I went with a friend, and I just had a blast. And that's, uh, I think, two years ago, I did a systemic, like a system organization dynamics, system dynamics of organization, I must say. And um, I realized then that the year, I, that was my, the year that I was 20, was really my liberation year. Yeah. And like, uh, oh, this is who I am. This is what I like. Yeah. Um, to be with all these different people, to have 
the connection with everyone. We were living in this hall of residence with thousand students, yeah. and you can, you know, you didn't, didn't didn't even have to take on, uh, to put on your shoes to get to like all the different, uh, how do you call it, hallways. Yeah, yeah. I literally watched one evening of TV in the whole year. For the rest, I just I. I studied, so I did my. I, I got my BA honors nice. in, a, in a good way, languages for business. So that was fun. I learned also that the practical way of learning for me works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in a pub. We all. I was uh, vice president of the International Student Association, and we decided that it shouldn't be only for international students, but also for the English one because it's all about connection. Yeah. So we hired buses and went everywhere in the UK. We organized parties that were like, uh, you know, not like the French party, but just have like, and this is basically my first experience. I'm like, oh, this is what it is when, when things come together. Um, when we really thought like, oh, you know, if, if we combine what English people do yeah. uh, to party and if we combine what, uh, what the, um, the international community does, then maybe we can get great parties to that. So we did that. We organized all kinds of parties and I won't talk about what the type of parties were. No, it was, it was so much fun. <clears throat> so that's really where I learned to really free myself again mm-hmm. and just live yeah. and have conversations and, yeah. you know, making sure that we uh, I could pay my rent because it was really expensive. But uh, yeah, it was a wonderful time. So, and then back in Nijmegen, I picked, I, I kept that uh, whole yeah, spirit alive. So you came back to Nijmegen then? After yeah, that, yeah. To, to finish my finish master's. The, yeah. I, I studied for another two years. Actually, mm-hmm. I could have finished after four years, but I thought there's so much more to learn and do. So uh, I just, uh, and I still had, I was very lucky to be uh, going to university in the period that I got, like we call it the Basis Bureau, like a um, scholarship mm-hmm. from, from, the, uh, yeah. from the government. It was not a lot. It was about 425 guilders, which is about 200 and, I don't know, 200 euros now. Yeah. But uh, it was nice. Like now now it's all alone and it's going to change luckily again. Okay. So that's why I studied two years more. And then I thought, so now what? What are we going to do? Um, and I, weirdly enough, ended up working for a bank. Which, Postbank. Yeah. Well remembered, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was so, I would never, ever expect it to be working at a bank. Me neither, yeah. No. I was like, what? Yeah. If you would have told me in my third or fourth year for, for study, they're like, you're going to work at the bank. I was like, no, are you no. crazy? It's super boring yeah. and there are only boring people there and boring processes and uh, yeah. But it, yeah, it turned out completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think all of this essentially connects back to the first thing you said, which is about being curious, right? Um, yeah. In a way, post-bank was something you were not expecting to come up, but because you were so curious and just Amsterdam presenting itself and having been to uh, Wolverhampton, yeah. and I think all of this just fits in perfectly in terms of why it happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, nicely put. What is something that doesn't feel like work to you, but feels like work to everyone else? <sighs> Connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, Having conversations on personal growth. Yeah. Um, so you're a growth junkie then? Yeah, I would say so. Personal development. Yeah. Not necessarily growth in achieving more money or having yeah. a steep career path, but really becoming, or not becoming, 
living who you are yeah. and getting to know yourself, being curious about who you are and yeah. how you can get the best out of yourself and others. And I think that it, it doesn't feel to work as work to me. Yeah. When I was, I think I started becoming a manager when I was 27. So mm -hmm. th these opportunities were also there within, uh, within ING and Postbank. And it was such an interesting year. Um, also quite tough, but the conversations with my people and then having the team meetings and making sure that we're all like being able to flourish, that everybody got what he or she needed. Yeah. Also, uh, what I really doesn't feel like work either is um, going on the barricades. Okay. Something that I find important. And if I look at my career so far, I've always done that as well. Like if people say that's not possible, and but I truly believe that it can be done. Yeah. Of course, sometimes I bump my nose and people say, it's not your place, go back to it. Yeah. <laughs> but when it works, it's not work for me. It's yeah. like really like, oh, so now we twisted the system a bit mm -hmm. towards the part where it becomes better for everyone. Yeah. So anything that has to do with becoming better, that, that things become better for you yeah. or for me, that's not work for me. That's yeah. life. That's that's living my living my life. Yeah. yeah. So how does that transition happen from kind of let's say marketing type of area, commercial activities to, and also how do you describe yourself as a coach, a trainer, advisor? What is the right word? Yeah, I. I when I introduce myself, I more and more say that I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, I do train, I do coach, um, but I also have my own companies now, and I really love developing that. So the whole business development yeah. part, the community management part, is something that I just really love doing. Mm -hmm. And um, how the transition happened, I think. Looking back, that first year when I was a manager, it was quite difficult and also very inspiring at the same time. And I think that was where the roots or the base of the work that I'm doing now was even stronger late, stronger late. I don't know if you say it like that, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I had one person in my team and she did not accept me at all, which was because she actually wanted my job. Yeah. I was 27, she was 37. Yeah. And she's just like, what are you doing here? So the rest of my team was fine and good, but that was actually quite challenging. I remember that I was like, do I have to be like a kindergarten teacher here? And then my manager at the time, she really told me, well, this is also what you have to deal with. So I spent some time in distress at the time. Uh, like, oh, how can you be like that to me? And, when, and looking back, if I would have been a bit more curious then, I would have been able to see her pain mm -hmm. and also her way of protecting herself. Um, so that was the learning part. And and it was not easy, but I was fascinated by it. Yeah. And eventually um, she did not keep the job, which is also quite difficult. And she, how do you call that? She fought for it. Like she went to, not, not the judge, but like to yeah. a commission. And... That was like, whoa, what's happening here? Yeah, uh, We won eventually. So that was like a victory. 99% yeah. you don't win and this 1% was. And that also, I think if I look back now, confirmed me like if I really am open and honest, then I can 
have a positive impact. Yeah. Even though it's sometimes difficult. Mm -hmm. And with the team, we just achieved so much great things. So people and change, that's where that's where it started there, I think. Mm -hmm. And after about 10 years in, within ING, I, six and a half years later, I went to post from Postbank to another part of ING and um, became a manager of a multidisciplinary team there. And that's also where I learned again people and change. It's yeah. all about... And I remember that I got the uh, question from, uh, from the HR lady, can you explain what you do with your team? Because everybody's so happy all the time. Not like always happy, happy, but they're like satisfied. So yeah. the employee, employee satisfaction was really high. And I thought, hmm, I don't know. When I was 30 then, and I was uh, with all these senior managers, and they were like, oh, you blonde chick with your green trousers. <laughs> and the, <laughs> what are you going to say? And, um, and then I, I think I... A couple of years ago, I found that PowerPoint presentation that I created then. Mm -hmm. And looking back, I already mentioned quite a lot of things that I, I know now are really important. And that yeah. is building trust, mm -hmm. giving freedom, and um, building a an environment where everybody can flourish. And uh, knowing with that knowledge, I eventually left ING because it, uh, it was never my plan to be part, to, be, to be, become or have this whole career in um, in the corporate world. It would have been the next step, but I thought, am I going to be here? Uh, yeah, maybe weirdly sad between like having these meetings with everybody in gray suits, or is there someone else, uh, something else out there? Yeah. So then the opportunity came by to become the commercial director for Return to Sender, which is a small uh, foundation okay. created by um, Katja Schuurman. And I thought, this is what I want to do. What they do is they um, buy products from third world, third, third world countries and they reinvest the profit made here yeah. to build businesses there. So okay. it's really, really great. Um, did that for a year and you know, gave up half of my salary. Uh, and it was, it was so much fun. It felt like really freedom, but it was also too small. Okay. So I was like uh, going back and forth. Long story short, I ended up in consultancy. Okay. at the company of my father because uh, I decided to to leave return to sender I did an interim year at ing I decided to leave there as well because it I, it didn't feel right anymore it didn't feel like my environment and then he asked me like do you want to join my company I just started uh, he, he just started five I think a year before and um, doing a lot of consultancy and training and coaching in mainly education so teachers teams of teachers, and also uh, medium, small enterprises. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why not? Yeah. Let's make this an adventure. And it actually was quite weird to start working with my father, whereas when I was young and about 14, 15, we had a lot of fights. So and it's like almost a contrary movement, but there I learned a lot. So I worked there for four and a half years, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and really got to know my passion about team development and seeing people. So we did a lot of research on teams, why why don't, doesn't it work? Yeah. And how much that affects the quality of life and your clear thinking. And that's when, uh, when I thought, this is really what I want to do. Yeah. I want to contribute to making this world a bit better. 
And if I can do that by connecting people more easily and listening and sometimes also bring out the brutal truth, because that's sometimes important to make a next move, then yeah. let's do that. Yeah. So this is, uh, and that's now become my business, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what is your business PCM, process communication model? Yeah. Um, yeah. Describe it for us. Well, the process communication model is um, an international model mm -hmm. and it's a tool to improve the quality of life. Okay. By helping people to connect easily one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. And also group dynamics. And I was quite skeptical when I first uh, encountered yeah. PCMs. Like I've, I've worked with a lot of models because I've always been curious about how, how are we wired and why does this matter and how does this play out in our yeah. co-workership, partnerships or anything like that. And um, PCM for short, like process communication models, PCM for short, really opened new perspectives for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, oh, so this is the connection... We all know that we have different personalities, but how can you leverage those differences in your daily connections? So how can you build the bridge from I'm different than you? Mm -hmm. And how do we work then? What do I say, do, or not do, or not say, while still being me, but being able to connect with you on a daily basis, being able to recognize whether we are still in contact, when we're still in contact, or when we are showing distress behavior, Okay. And that's why it's called the process communication model because it's all about the process of communication. Okay. Yeah. And Tabi Kaller was uh, Dr. Tabi Kaller is the one who built the model. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very intrigued by he's a clinical uh, psychologist. Yeah. Very intrigued why people in who were in therapy with him when 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 is there a connection? And when the when the connection goes away, yeah. and what really would work in therapy? So, with one uh, patient, it would work way better to talk more about emotions and feelings and uh, more in a caring way. Mm -hmm. And with another patient or client, he found out that logic and explanation is way uh, more effective to connect, and then yep. go to whichever area you need to go to to do the therapy. And what he also discovered is there a predictability that is observable in when we lose connection. Okay. So in words, tones, gestures, posture, and facial expressions, you can literally see if there's still a connection, yes or no. Okay. So now you, when you and I have eye contact and you're nodding and I know that we have a connection. Yeah. If you would, for example, ask me a question that I don't really know the answer to yet, or because asking questions is not my preferred way of connecting. Mm-hmm. You can see me like uh, people, uh, people are listening to it. But I will wrinkle my face a bit. I'm going to be like, huh? Rather than saying, what do you mean? Yeah. And those small observations yeah. give like so much information on how I can easily connect with you. Yeah. And how uh, predictable and how I can deal with predictability of distress. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I was hooked. Um, because I, I want to make this world a better place. So... Yeah. PCM is one of the tools to do that. I also work with leading out of drama, which is another uh, tool, but from process, and that really helps us to engage in conflict in a positive yeah. way. All these wonderful skills that we can acquire to actually make life easier for us yeah. and for other people.
And that's the golden thread for me. And that's why PCM for me is, uh, is a great way to uh, teach other people about it and yeah. to see yeah, how, to, how, how we can make this world a better place together. Yeah, I find that so interesting because also the elements you're talking about are so complex, right? Um, and complex in the sense um, from one person to another. The way we, our facial expressions, for example. Um, I think I'm not much of a, a laugh. I don't laugh a lot, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't find something funny or I'm not right. having fun. Yeah. Um, but I know there are people who will laugh at something which I'll be like, that's not even that funny. Or <laughs> there are people whose faces, um, one of my colleagues I'm in a meeting with, and he says to me, he's like, don't look at my face and judge my expression. I'm really listening to you. Yeah. His face, I will be like, oh my God, have I said something wrong? Right. But in reality, it's just the way he is. Yeah. Um, I am, I think, a bit more. You can see it on my face as well when I'm listening, when I'm doing it. Right. So how do you really teach this? Because it takes me to the point of nature versus nurture. Um, and a lot of us, we believe, okay, we are born with this. Some of us are introverts, extroverts. Hey, I'm better at connecting than this. So how does it work? And is this something that can be taught, this idea of connecting and understanding other people? Yes, it can be taught. And everybody can learn it. That's the good thing. I always say, so the good news is you can influence it, the human connection. And the bad news is you can influence it. And that means that you also have to make an effort Mm -hmm. to see the other person for who he is and what his or her preferred way of connecting with you is. And then make the decision, will I speak your language, yes or no? So today, Bikala said, if you want others to listen to what you're saying, talk their language. Yeah. And I think in that one sentence, it says it all. But then the question is, like you say, it's quite complex, right? Yeah. How, do, can, how can you make sense or logic out of this? And this is what I really thank Tabi Kala for. He observed six preferred languages, four preferred communication channels, mm-hmm. and eight psychological needs. To sum it like up, we can, so that's, that's overseeable. And if I make it really even smaller... There are two buttons to press to improve. Oh, sorry, that was the that was the table, guys. Um, there are two buttons that you can use to improve or positively influence the human connection. One is communication, actually one of the most important buttons to build trust. A lot of um, leaders and organizations are are struggling with that. Yeah. And then the second one is motivation, and that mm-hmm. has to do with psychological needs. And if you are able to manage those two buttons and those two tool, tools, basically, then it's way easier. And you learn to observe the different yeah. languages, for example. Yesterday I was doing a workshop, and we were explaining about the six different languages that we speak and how you can observe them. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been talking to me uh, now for some time, and you can already see on my facial expression, I've, I'm very expressive, I just bumped my head on hand on the table. Yeah. I'm very lively. Yeah. And I use words also like uh, nice and awesome and cool. And um, and this was really an eye-opener for me because I've always thought like people thought, think, yeah, you're so energetic. You should be a bit more like easy. And I'm like, aha, but now I know it's my preferred language to connect yeah. with the world. I love to connect through humor, um, doing my own thing. But if I do that all the time, I might not connect with people who do not have that as a preferred language. Yeah. So how does that work? 
well, we have six, six different languages and we all have them in us, but then in certain percentages. So I'll use me as an example. I can speak the language of reactions, likes and dislikes very easily. So when, when we talk about politics, for example, I would say something like, oh, I hate what they're doing now with the whole farmer thing. And I might even say with the whole farmer shit mm -hmm. or something like that. And people who do not have my preferred language, they, they might think, what are you thinking when I say that? Is it appropriate language or yeah. not? What do you think? I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah for yeah. you it's fine. But yeah. there will, will be yeah. people who say like, uh, right. yeah. that's not appropriate yeah. language. So there we already have the miscommunication. Yeah. And if I'm not aware, it might be that I'm building distrust rather than trust. Because yeah. people think, hmm, if you're talking that black and white, yeah. can you use your rationality, for example? The other, the good thing about it is that I will be very uh, spontaneous, playful. Yeah. I will use humor. I'm able to make difficult things more light. Yeah. So it all, it all comes down to that. There goes my hand again. But I also have the language of feelings and emotions. Yeah. So I can easily connect with other people. I have uh, relationships. Well, I always say like people and connection. You can hear it in the way that I, that I talk. And the third preferred language for me is the language of opinions. Mm -hmm. And this is what you see, like, I find it very important to yeah. um, have an impact on this world. Yeah. And those type of language you can spot. Yeah. So if you know what to listen to and what to observe, you can get way more information from our conversation yeah. and you know how to connect with me. Mm -hmm. Do I speak this language of likes and dislikes all the time? No, of course, yeah. if we're now transferring information. So I actually use the language of logic yeah. and the language of opinions. And this we can learn. It's mm -hmm. very easy to learn. Well, maybe, do I say easy? No, it's not always easy to learn. No. And it is able, it's like, like a practice. You can say, yeah. I do quite a lot of yoga. Yeah. And when you first are on the yoga mat, you think like, what? When a downward dog, uh, it hurts. My wrist hurt. My 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 fingers hurt. Uh -huh. And now it's a it's a position for relaxation yeah. for me. And this is what you can learn with uh, with the tools for from of PCM as well. Yeah. And that's what I like. You can make in every conversation the decision: Am I going to connect? Yes or no? The other day, my colleague was uh, saying and was talking about the research that was done in twenty. Oh, seven about how many words people speak a day. What do you think? How many words do we speak average? Oh, I couldn't guess a lot. Um, 2,000, 3,000 in a day? More even. Much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about 15 to 16,000 words. Wow. And people always think that there's a big difference between men and, and women, but it's... Really? No, it's not no. really. It's okay. really interesting. Yeah. So on average. Yeah. And the interesting part is like to for a sentence to be understandable, yeah. it's about 16 words when it's still an understandable sentence. So that's a thousand sentences on average a day. A thousand sentences where you can make a difference in connection. Mm -hmm. So you can make a positive difference by learning how to speak these different languages, for example, yeah. or dialects even. And you can also spot when you have not used the right language. That's the wonderful thing. It doesn't mean like, oh, I've, I chose the wrong language. But I can literally see, like I, I used the explanation for, like, I would be like, huh? 
Or if you if you're explaining something to me that's quite difficult, I'll be like, hmm, uh, uh, I, okay. And f- if you know about PCM, you get a lot of information about my preferred yeah. way of, com- of connecting. Yeah. I find that so interesting um, in the sense that um, if I understand what you're trying to say correctly, in a way it's more about understanding what is happening and right. why people are doing things the way they're doing rather than trying to fit in or essentially always speaking someone else's language. And why I go to that point is because I want to take it back to authenticity and being yourself. Great. Um, because if you start then speaking the language of the person in front of you, are you really truly being yourself? Mm. Um, and in a way, it's not just always about connecting, but also figuring out, is this someone that I can connect with? Yeah. Is this someone that I want to connect with? That if by being myself, I'm noticing a negative um, feedback from there, then okay, I can still make this relationship work, but this is not the one for me. Am I on the right path here? Yeah, you're, you're uh, pointing out two really interesting topics that, that I get a lot when I'm training leaders or um, teams. The one of authenticity and also the one of, uh, are we still in a good place, yes or no? So let me start with the second one first, and then I'll go to the authenticity part. The fundamentals of PCM are um, based in the transactional analysis. Um, and transactional analysis is literally, a, um, we call it like a stream um, that focuses on the transactions of people. Mm-hmm. And Eric Byrne was the founder of that. And from that um field comes the okay corral and basically it is like are we still in an okay i'm okay and you're okay position yes or no and that is something that i decide that's interesting so you what you mentioned like so if somebody doesn't see me or or doesn't appreciate me for who i am then i'm not sure if i want to be with that uh, person which is a fair choice mm-hmm. if it's really based on um I'm okay, you're okay, and think like, yeah, but we are just not the one for me. But if it's um, based on the way that somebody interacts with you, for example, not being really clear or not being um, full of uh, initiative or something, something that you like, then we easily actually leave that I'm okay, you're okay position and and move to a different one. We're either moving to I'm okay, you're not okay. So it's more like, oh, but you're not fast in this brainstorm, you're probably not invested uh, in this subject, which is actually an assumption. Yeah. Or the other way, we can make ourselves smaller, I'm not okay and you are okay. And then I'll um, mostly put on, we call it the um, trooper mask mm-hmm. and thinking like, uh, oh, okay, no, I won't, I won't ask that question. He probably doesn't want me to ask yeah. that question. And if we don't spot... Those, we call it like red alarm lights. Hey, there's the connection is going. Then we might even end up in I'm not okay, you're not okay either. And I will put on a mask that is even more severe and we will end up having a conflict or anything like that. And the interesting part is everybody recognizes that. Everybody recognizes that you have people that you can easily connect with and you're easily in that I'm okay, you're okay, even if they're completely different. Yeah. But you also recognize that, especially with colleagues, yeah, you're bound to work together, that you can easily go into one of these other positions, like I'm okay, you're not okay, or I'm not okay, and you are okay. Mm-hmm. 
And then we put on masks, very recognizable masks, and those masks put a lot of st static in the system. So the interesting part, if you, if you think about what do you want to achieve when you work together, is like, do, do we want to work together and use our talents? Okay. Most of the people say yes, and most of the leaders say yes. Okay, so then the first step is to recognize, am I wearing a mask, yes or no? Because if I'm giving you a task, for example, say, okay, Walid, we're uh, I've told you this last week as well, but will you, will you make sure that your report is really on time this, uh, this, this week? What is your first response? Yeah, a bit defensive. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm, I'm asking you something from the I'm okay and you're not okay perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it immediately, immediately does something to our connection. Yeah. So am I authentic when I do that, when I give that mask? Are you authentic when you are defensive? What do you think? It takes me back to the question of what if the person is that way? <laughs> um, if they really are that type of a leader who always do communicate like that. Mm -hmm. But then that makes me under, uh, kind of think about why are they always like that? Interesting, yeah. Um, me being defensive, yes, of course, is also why are you defensive? That if your report has had been on time before, then you have nothing to be defensive about. Your response is like, yeah, of course, like always, it will be on time. Um, so yeah, it says something about me as well and it says something about you as well. Yeah, and the interesting part that you mention is, is the person always like that? And why is he always like that? And is yeah. he aware of the impact that he has on you? Yeah. Because are you invited to do more for me by me uh, communicating with you in that way? No. No, not at all. And most leaders have a very positive uh, take on life, want to move further yeah. and um, are not aware that the behavior I just showed is actually distress behavior. And behind yeah. that mask, that's what where, where I was really fascinated with PCM, is a need that is not fulfilled mm -hmm. or an emotion, an authentic emotion that is covered by a mask. In this case, it might be, I'm afraid that we're not going to get the reports on time. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us as a department to pay a good contribution to the whole impact of this company. Yeah. So rather than me, so the okay, okay manner would be saying like, hey, Walid, I'm concerned that we might not be uh, finished on time with all the different reports. When do you expect to have yours ready? Yeah. So that's... That's much, yeah. Yeah. Um, it takes me back to this idea of um, saying that, and yours is actually, I will come to that, that people are not their behavior. Right. Um, and that by behaving a certain way, there is a certain need that they're trying to fulfill. Right. That need in this case being... Um, worried that the report is not going to be on time, which is going to lead to this, this, and this. And correct me if I'm wrong, PCM is a way of communicating that correctly. Right, in an effective, in an I'm effective okay, you're manner, okay manner. So where the need is also fulfilled and the behavior can also be solved. Right. So the interesting part is that you're... Uh, so the first step is to be aware of your own needs and your own communication patterns. Yeah, the most important. The most important. Yeah. Self-reflection is the key to self-development. And I was listening to uh, a podcast the other day with Edith Eger. I don't know if you've known her, uh, if you know her, but she's 92 years. She is an Auschwitz survivor and she wrote the book The Choice. 
If anybody has not read it, who's listening now, please read it. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And what Edith Eager really invites us to do is to always make a choice. Am I contributing to something better now? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. Am I my pattern? Yes or no. Like what you mentioned, like my behavior, does it define me? Is it who I am? Well, it's partly of who I am, yeah. but the, and, and I should not ignore it. Yeah. So the first time when I got to know PCM, I read that my distress behavior is that I will blame situations or other people when, think, when I don't get my needs positively met. Yeah. I did not like to read that. I thought, no, that's not, no. And then yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. So rather than having um, um, judgment yeah. on that behavior, I can also think, ha, so that's my protection mechanism. That's my signal when I know that I have, we call it an empty battery. Yeah. So if my intention is to have a daily connection with you and to get the best out of my team, because if we are flourishing, then we can have better contributions and then we can achieve our goals better together. Yeah. So I think, and this is why we teach leaders that as well, in your daily decisions, in your daily leadership, that's where you show how um, how you work together. Yeah. So becoming aware of your own masks and also becoming aware and being open about your own needs. Mm-hmm. So my need, for example, my current need is the one that is um, being recognized for my principled work, so my dedication and my conviction. So this podcast is a perfect way. It's also exciting. I thought, oh, um, but it's a great way to actually being able to fulfill my need because my conviction is that if we are aware of our behavior, we can improve the quality of life. We want to make an effort to really um, connect with the other person. And and I'm able to have this wonderful conversation with you. So that's great. But if I work somewhere and my conviction, because as an entrepreneur, I I can do my own thing. But if I work somewhere and I'm not recognized for that need, if this is my need, I mostly the people who have this need, they are the ones who have a great vision. They are the ones who will keep your department on track and say, hey, it's great, this new idea, but like two years ago we promised this to our clients. Are we still on the same pace? Or yeah. if we look at our core values, does this still connect? Mm-hmm. And if we are not aware of that, then we miss a whole big quality there. Yeah. So as a leader... First, uh, first thing is, or as a person in general, if you're a parent, how am I wired? Yeah. And how do I show that? Yeah. And then the second step is, how do I, what, if I, what do I observe? Yeah. So do I observe certain patterns with other people? Maybe distress patterns that are not very effective. Because if, I to, if I'm saying to you like, oh, Walid, I, I don't know if I... If I can, if I if I would be able to to really explain it in a good way, I already see your face. Like, so what, what's happening if I do this? What 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 do you think of me as a professional? Or yeah, very low confidence. Right. Very, yeah. Yeah. So worried that the podcast is not going to be great. Right. Yeah. yeah. Even if you are incredibly talented and you have a great story to tell, but just that gives me the signal that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I put on a mask. Yeah. And I invite a mask with you immediately. This is how we're wired as people. So yeah. a mask invites a mask. If you recognize my mask as being the drooper mask 
and thinking like, oh, this is somebody who's actually really focused on relationship and needs recognition for person. You might say something like, I'm, I'm so happy to see you here in the podcast. What is your main goal for this? And especially the first intervention, I'm so happy to be with you here in the pod yeah. podcast. That is recognition for person. And it's an invitation for me to drop my mask yeah. and be in my clear thinking again from I'm okay, you're okay. And this is a concept or, um, or a tool, how do you say it, that you can apply in any moment. Rather than going down the negative spiral yeah. of you thinking like, is this a professional? Uh, this is like, why? if she doesn't even know how to explain what she's yeah. about, then why is she here? And this happens, well, the thousand sentences per day yeah. happens so often. And then there's distrust and then there's misunderstanding and then we move away actually from our authentic selves. Yeah. I'd like to come back to that point for authenticity. Because I, uh, once people get to know themselves and they're like, oh yeah, okay, so I'm wired like this. Yeah. My preferred language is logic and action. Yeah. And if I'm working with somebody whose preferred language is emotions and reflection, for example, yeah, yeah how am I going to talk that language? Is that me? And I often use the metaphor, so okay, let's imagine you go to France. Yeah, and you're sitting on a nice terrace and you're really craving for a nice cold beer. Mm -hmm. Your French is not that good. Mm -hmm. So what are the odds if you say, ain't beer in Dutch, that okay. you get a beer? Could be possible. Could be possible. Yeah, but low. But very low. If, yeah. I, if I point to another beer, might be yeah. working already. Yeah. Um, I try it in English. Well, in France, that's not always a good thing. But if I just say, un bier, and maybe it's not the best pronunciation, yeah. but somebody really sees that I make an effort and yeah. then the connection is there and my beer is there way faster. Yeah. And the interesting part is that it works with the different languages like that too. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to be fluent in it, but first learn to recognize them. Yeah. And then know that we all have some energy in there. Because yeah. if you go, let's say this example, and your language of emotions is definitely not your preferred language, but one of your best friends loses one of his parents. You don't go to that best friend and said, when did your father pass away? What was the reason? What was the exact time? You're not going to ask all kinds no. of questions. You're going to say something like, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. If we're acting from an okay, okay, yeah. uh, if we're uh, responding from an okay, okay position. And that we do in certain situations. So I mm -hmm. say, so why don't you tap into that? Yeah. And rather than use it only in that kind of situation, you can also use it in individual connections. Yeah. So it's still you. You don't have to be fluent in it. Yeah. But the whole idea is to learn to discover and be curious about your whole personality. Mm -hmm. And um, in that way, Sometimes it's rusty, yeah. but the interesting part is, I'm so fascinated by this, and I'm curious about your perspective, is that when we go to the gym, yeah. and I want to lift 50 kilos, are, am, I, am, I, you look at me, am I going to lift that 50 kilos when I'm there the second time I go to the gym? No. No. Third time? No. Probably no. When I start at 50 kilos? No. no. So I start at five. I go, back, I go to the gym every week. Yeah. Start at 10 going to go 15 and then 20 and then maybe I make a jump to 35. 
And yep. that, that's how it works. And um, we're all used to having that muscle pain. And with yep. PCM, we say you train your communication muscles. Yep. But somehow we find it really difficult to accept that you can also have tr uh, muscle pain mm -hmm. from communication. Yeah. We immediately link it to, can I still be me? Yeah. And yes, you can still be me. Uh, even better, there is so much more you in you than you show that really can boost the confidence, the trust, and working together rather than going into that negative spiral or or, or locking ourselves up behind our yeah. masks. So is this something you find out about yourself by doing an assessment or how does it yeah. work? Yeah, so when Tabi Khaled discovered all this, he was uh, invited by NASA, by the psychiatrist of NASA, because he was fascinated by this young, he was quite young at the time, he was at 35 or something, um, but, uh, by, his, by his research on, uh, all based on observation. So Terry Maguire, he was the psychiatrist, he's no longer with us since uh, I think a couple of months, unfortunately. He invited Tabi Kaler on the interviews with uh, astronauts. Well, and asked, you know, if you don't like me, you can walk out the door, it's not really de defining your life, but if we're in a capsule in space yeah. and we don't really like each other and you decide to walk out the door, then that's the end of it. So being able to manage this stress and making sure that everybody is in their clear thinking is very important for, uh, for people who work in space. So Terry Maguire asked Taby, will you sit in on the two hour interviews that I have with these astronauts? So we can, uh, and you observe, and then afterwards we can compare notes. So Tabi Kaler observed 10 minutes, wrote down everything he saw and his um, um, hypothesis, et cetera, on distress, predictable distress behavior. Then he put down his notes. Two hours later, they compared notes. And actually, Tabi could already say more about the predictable distress behavior than Terry Maguire, a leading psychiatrist, in two hours. So this is where the, the, the spark, like every conversation can spark a change, we say. Well, this is where the spark really changed something. Yeah. And NASA decided to invest money and to make a validated questionnaire. And that's what we are still making use of now. So there's a validated questionnaire of 45 questions. And with that, you get a personal report wow. on your preferred languages, on your distress pattern, predictable distress pattern, the um, warning signals, when you actually know like if you're, if I'm lifting an eyebrow and already asking like a more critical question, then I'm already moving out of the I'm okay, you're okay. Mm -hmm. And it's so valuable to know that so you yeah. can actually manage yourself. Because if we manage ourselves well, we have less, how do you call it, inclination to show distress patterns. So if, yeah. if you work with me and we know each other's preferences, but we also know how to contribute to them while still being us, that's awesome. So um, with the, the, um, the uh, profile, after that, the skill building starts. So how do I recognize that with other people? And then uh, I mentioned the first two steps, uh, self-awareness, and then rec observe other people. Yeah. How, how do they say what they want to say? So we're not focusing on content, but how. It's yeah. the energy. And then the third step is adapting your communication style. Yeah. So how do I do that? How do I, and we call it taking an elevator in your own condominium, blah, blah, blah. That's all, um, uh, how do you call it, definitions. But basically it's like, do I use my toolbox to make this easier for me 
easier for other people, yeah. yes or no. And this is what I always say. You can't, after, after uh, building your skills on this, there is never a moment where you can say anymore, like, I don't know what happened, but it just didn't work out. Mm. You say, ah, I know what happened. This is what happened. This is where we lost connection. And yeah, it's what it is. Or maybe I can repair this. Or I was wearing a mask or the other person was wearing a mask and we were yeah. not able to come to a connection. Yeah. Which is fair enough as well. Because sometimes that also happens. And it's very okay, okay, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. It's also fine to decide, hey, maybe we're not the best match in relationships, for example. Yeah. But often it's paired with a lot of you did that or I couldn't do anything about it. And that's when we are in distress. But yeah. If I'm in my clear thinking, I might think, oh, we were not the best fit. And that's fine. Fascinating. Mm. What do you find fascinating about it? I'm just fascinated by human behavior in general. And yeah. I think um, I have, uh, I wrote this article recently which said that being aware is not enough. Nice. Um, Great title. Because I think over the past few um, years, I've really focused on, okay, what is the behaviors that I am putting out? What are the behaviors other people are putting out? Going to this theory of why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, but the most fascinating thing and where I have, a, have, let's say, the most fascination towards is really understanding and being able to solve the situation, the distress, because that's the hardest part, right? Yeah yes, I have not been able to get out of bed for three days or I have been waking up an hour later or I haven't been going to the gym even though I used to go for two months. Mm. I know this. Yeah. Why haven't you completed this um, driver's license uh, theory exam that I have to do? Um, it's been seven months. Why haven't you done it? Right. And it's like people ask me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And everywhere, all around us in our lives, we find people who say, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. But I say, and then people stop there. Like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah. Okay, at least he's aware. Yeah. At least he knows why he's not doing it or he knows that he hasn't been getting out of bed on time. And it takes me to the part of, and? And. What are you doing about it? Right. Um, so that's what fascinates me about PCM, that understanding how to solve it is the most important thing because you right. knowing your behavior is one thing, but changing is the most important thing because that's growth. Growth yeah. is not knowing that the plant is no longer growing. Growth is what fertilizer can I put? What can I change right. that starts growing? And what type of fertilizer do I use with which plant? Yeah. Because um, and actually water as well. There are two things that I that I like about what you're saying. Uh, awareness is not enough. Yeah. Totally true, but it does start with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I see that a lot of people are afraid to be self-aware to really look like like I said I don't yeah. really like that I'm I'm showing kinds of behavior or that now I'm I can go on a crusade rather than really listening and asking questions yeah. if, if I have the idea that I that somebody's not listening to what I'm saying I can repeat myself three times which is really annoying yeah. but it is something that's that's part of me yeah what also struck me when you, what you said is that what we often do is we also often are not so nice to each, to ourselves no. or to each other. So, yeah. for example, I didn't go to the gym. Why didn't you go to the gym? You should finish your private life. Da, 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 da. And we never ask ourselves the question, or never, maybe a bit overstated, but we forget to ask ourselves, what is it I need right now? Yeah. And what is the reason that I show this behavior? Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example of the predictability and the difference um, intervention that I used to do. 
It was from when I was a consultant at the, at the company. Um, we had a, a, a big, like an important team together. And our secretary was always making arrangements of the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, the group, we had an intensive PCM training day. The group went to the hotel. No hotels were booked. No rooms were booked. Okay. So my first response is like, what? Like my internal response. And I thought, this is weird. My secretary would never make mistakes like this. So we see in her clear thinking. Yeah. So I gave her a call and I said, uh, so we have a situation here. Um, and we're going to solve this together. It's fine. It's not nice, but it's fine. So will you help me? Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's fine. I know that you normally take care of these things in a very professional manner. So will you help me solve this? And we worked together in solving this issue. And the day after I went to her and I asked her the question, how are you doing? Because I'm, I'm very happy to work with you and I'm also a bit worried about you. Yeah. And then came out a whole story that she was yeah. not doing well at all. In, without PCM, I would not have picked it up. But the interesting part is, if we don't get what we need in a positive way, we will show behavior to get that need met anyway. Yeah. Um, unconsciously. So it's not her choice to make yeah. um, quote-unquote stupid mistakes. Yeah. And everybody can make mistakes, but it was a pattern. I yeah. saw like two or t- three things with her. Um, but it is self-inviting. Yeah. Uh, it's inviting self-criticism rather than appreciation. Yeah. And if we're able to see that, yeah. then we are, we are more compassionate with ourselves and with other people rather than like, oh, I'm so stupid. Um, like yesterday I, or the day before yesterday, I thought I had an opening uh, on Wednesday, but it was on Thursday, an opening of a shop of a friend of mine. And I was on my bike back to ha- to my house. It was like, I was like, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, why didn't I put it in my agenda in the right way? And then I thought I was literally self-aware. So that was the fix. like, okay, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And then the second time, what is it that I need? Yeah. I just need a moment to relax and just um, have a good meal and some time in nature. And then I will go about I needed to go to the blood bank to give some, and then I'll go there. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. And this whole principle, I think we often forget. And that compassion yeah. is, I think, also the tool because we are not plan, do, check, act figures. We are human beings. And yeah. sometimes it's messy. Sometimes yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be exhausting at oh, times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Life Because sometimes in <laughs> you, just, you just want people to do what they were asked to do um, and yeah. always kind of stopping yourself from reacting and being like, okay, let me think. Let me, instead yeah. of using the language that comes from just within, let from, me... From your mask. Yeah, yeah, let me just think what the right language is to use, then use that right language, being compassionate, taking a step back, understanding the situation. Yes, that's definitely the best route to take but it can be exhausting. It can it can be exhausting and you don't always do it, which is fine. Yeah. So let's take off the judgment of uh, our distress behavior. It is who we are yeah. and it's also a way to protect ourselves. Yeah. But what's interesting, what you said, and uh, I'm quoting Edith Eger again, is um, you have a reaction mm-hmm. and you have a response. Yeah. 
But the response doesn't always have to be... So this, this is the, 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 um, uh, the definition that she gives. Reaction is like, bam. And it's mostly uh, in, in types of situations where you are not feeling well, it's your mass behavior. But you yeah. can also respond like... And in that, like, 10 seconds of pause, yeah. that's where the, where the room is to make it more effective or less effective. It doesn't mean that you have to hide your irritation. So yeah. let's say I'm working with you. I made a deal with you to um, finish an analysis. Okay. And I did not communicate with you on the um, progress, mm -hmm. where, uh, whereas that was one of the agreements that we did. And um, maybe one day before the deadline, I'm saying, ah, Walid, it's not really uh, going to work. I need two more days. Yeah. A very logical and also fair um, response would be, I'm not happy about that. Yeah. And that's actually openness. So I invite people not to hide that irritation, yeah. but you can choose to say, oh my God, really? Why didn't you just tell me? And you did promise me, did, did, did. But you can also say, I'm really not happy about that. And what I want is to discuss what we can do, because for me, it's a non-negotiable yeah. that I don't get the analysis on time. Yeah. And that is an okay, okay way yeah. and we call that compassionate accountability so yeah. i'm still compassionate with me and with you but i'm also accountable so yeah. the authentic feeling is allowed to be there yeah and people don't have to hide it avoid being expressive also as a means to i guess not enter conflict or right. the possibility of conflict yes because it's easier to just ignore that and be like okay rather than saying i'm not happy with you because saying i'm not happy with you means ah uh, yeah. So now I'm going to get a reply from her and then, yeah. I'm gonna, then we're going to go back and forth <laughs> and this and that rather than me just being irritated and being like, okay, please get it to me by next week. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so fascinating. Right. Yeah. And, and what we do when we avoid conflict, we actually increase the drama. Yeah. Because next time you're not going to ask me to make that analysis. No. So there's no trust no. or there's less trust. No. There will be more mistakes. There no. will be more annoyance. Maybe you talk to another person about me saying like, oh, Edith, you shouldn't ask her for the analysis because last time she really yeah. effed up my, uh, my planning. Yeah. And um, the interesting part is we think it's easier to avoid the conflict. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is yeah. on the short notice. But in the long term, it always is a disconnector. Yeah. And then we are surprised that it's not working out well. Um, and what we say, um, and this is more compassionate accountability, um, there is a lot of energy in conflict. So conflict's not the problem, it's the solution. Mm -hmm. But how do we address that, not manage it? It doesn't have to be managed, but it has to be encountered that's also a skill. It's actually leading out of drama where I talked to you about in the in the beginning. Mm -hmm. One of my colleagues from uh, from uh, the states, Nate Rogier, he is the founder of Next Element, and they are they build this amazing program on how to uh, be compassionate, accountable, and how to deal with all these tough, fun, awesome, awful yeah. situations in life. And they use PCM as one of the things to really. Um, uh, learn how to build a human interaction and to respect everyone for who he is and uh, mm -hmm. connect so uh, and leverage the differences that and then leading out a drama for how do I deal with those situations where we made this agreement and things are not really going as planned yeah. 
or I have this deal with my children that they're not using the phone over the table and for the when we're having dinner and for the third time there are phones on the table or all kinds of yeah. situations where it doesn't match because that's the messy thing about life. You and I are different mm -hmm. and therefore there will always be conflict. But the good thing, what I really love about my perspective now, I used to think of conflict as, an, as a problem. Yeah. And now I'm like, conflict's nothing more than the difference between where I want to be and where I am now. Yeah. And if, if, if I look at, uh, at it from that, then, I'm, then my curiosity goes yeah. up. Yeah. And then uh, my vulnerability is allowed to be there. And then my consistency is asking for like, so my clear thinking is activated again. Yeah. Cool. How I like to go towards the end mm. is by a quick fire round. All right. Yeah. So I'm just going to say a word. Bring it on. Um, and just let me know the word or a sentence that quickly comes to your mind. Okay. Communication. Vital. Branding. So much fun. Success. Overrated. Yeah, overrated in the, in the, in a general term. Yeah. Transformation. Essential in life. Marketing. Mm, interesting. People. Love them. Failure. There's no failure. There's only learning. And, um, and there's always learning everywhere. Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> life is an adventure, I would say. Teamwork. Yeah. Love it. Digital. Digital? Yeah. Oh, this is my response. <laughs> <laughs> Digital, yeah. Um, don't really feel anything with that. It's yeah. functional. Okay. Health. Of vital importance. Family. Grateful. Podcasts. Love it. Great. Um, you already gave us a book recommendation, which I usually ask for. All right. Um, yeah. If you'd like to change that, it's up to you. But it was a book called The Choice by Edith. By Edith Eger. Yeah, yeah. she's actually my name uh, yeah. uh, companion. And she, she actually wrote two books. Okay. So one is The Choice and the second one is The Gift. Yeah. And I think for both of them are, are great for any human being who wants to take the more autonomy and knowing that... You always hold the key to your own prison in your own hands. Okay. So that's the book I uh, I definitely recommend. And if you, I also thought about somebody who you might find interesting to interview oh. uh, for our next uh, podcast. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? So I actually named him already, Nate Regier. Okay. And Dr. Nate Regier, who is an expert in compassionate accountability and how to deal with conflict. Um, I spoke to him yesterday, actually. He's a, he's a cherished colleague of mine and a great inspiration source. And he's uh, finalizing his new book okay. called Compassionate Accountability. Oh. And he also wrote a book, and I, I brought it for you because it's oh. been an inspiration for me as well, is Conflict Without Casualties. So, um, yeah, great guy and um, very down-to-earth yeah, so I think you'll have a great connection. Amazing. Thanks for that. Well, Edith, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast and listening to your story. It was a pleasure having, yeah, being here. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. That was Edith Dosia, 
the General Director and Co-Founder at PCM. You're listening to the Portera Connect Podcast. I'm Walid Siraj.